Amen. Let's take your Bibles this morning. Please turn to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 this morning. Uh, Lori, would you come to the piano for a moment? And uh, Brother Rob, would you put up a song for me? He will hold me fast. If you'd put that up for us this morning. Matthew chapter 9. You know, we're singing these songs about no condemnation and it is well with my soul. And, and uh, he is the ancient of days. And I, I just couldn't help but think about this song. He will never leave me nor forsake me. And he will hold me fast. He is our anchor. And we praise the Lord for it. So you can remain seated. I've had you standing a long time this morning. You see what happens when I'm not worried about your roast beef burning this afternoon? We'll just keep singing, all right? So let's sing. Uh, I, I love this song. He will hold me fast.
Amen. Take your Bibles, please. Isn't it good to know? Boy, we need it. This world is the very definition of a shifting sand today. We need the rock that is Christ Jesus. He will hold me fast. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. By the way, that rock is just there. Just there waiting for you to set your anchor. We can be blown about all over this world if we don't have Christ. Do you just trust him today? Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I was planning this morning to preach from Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as I'm studying through the book of Mark. And this morning I got up and was reading my Bible and the Lord just impressed upon my heart. Matthew chapter 9 and verses 35 through 38. And when I read that passage, I, the, the verse or the phrase that jumps out at me is when the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe it's verse 36, describes the people as sheep having no shepherd. They're scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. What phrase could better describe our world today? And I guess I just, I, I, a couple weeks ago, I preached on woke Christianity on a Sunday night, and, and some of you might not have been here for a Sunday evening service, and, and uh, I, I'm not one to beat these things to death. I, I don't like, actually don't like, I, I, I don't like talking about them, to be honest with you, but it is the culture we live in today. As you know, June is called Pride Month. And uh, I, look at, I look at the rainbow as God's grace, God's deliverance, and God's forgiveness, and, and a, new, a fresh start. And aren't you glad you're a new creature in Christ? And, uh, but the world has perverted everything that we find in the Word of God. And uh, taken it and twisted it and made it something filthy and dirty. And so the Lord just burned my heart about this this morning. And I, I always want to preach uh, with a balance. And so I, I don't plan on getting up today and ripping on all the things that are going on in our world today. Uh, how, how many of you already know it's sin? It's sin, pure and simple. And so but how do we respond and how do we approach a lost and dying world that is so deep in sin. Now, some of them, you might say, well, they have a reprobate mind and there's just no way for them to come back from that. And my answer to you is, how do you know which ones? How do we know which ones have ultimately got to the point where they've rejected God to the point where they cannot be redeemed? And, and we don't know, and so we faithfully preach the gospel to everybody. And so let's look at the scriptures this morning in Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, I, I was reading some things. I, I get things that come across my desk through email from other preachers and, and articles and such. And, and I follow uh, one that's called The Messenger. And it's from, honestly, the Southern Baptist Convention put out this, this uh, article pretty regularly. And I read some of them. I don't get time to read them all. But there was a discussion with the pride crowd this week, of course. And they, they tried to twist the word of God. And, and I said two weeks ago in the message that we sometimes are guilty of overemphasizing one doctrine over another. And we get things out of balance. In other words, the, 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 the crowd that we're talking about today would say, God is love. And God loves everybody. Which is absolutely 100% true. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
But God loves us too much to leave us in our sinful condition. And we cannot be saved unless we recognize that we are sinners, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. And it's but by the grace of God and the mercy of God because of the love of God that we can be delivered. Brother Hilton texted me this morning and they're finishing up their ministry in Florida and then heading to Newfoundland for another three weeks of ministry there and asked how he could pray. And I said, would you pray that I preach from a position of righteous indignation and not anger? Because I'm like you, I get angry sometimes when I see these things going on. I get angry especially when they're after the hearts and minds of our children. That's what really bothers me the most. That they're mutilating children who cannot even, uh, we, won't, we won't let you vote, but you can mutilate your body. We won't let you serve in the armed forces. We won't let, consider you an adult, but go ahead and have a massive surgery that will alter the rest of your life at nine years old. And that's what really bothers me, and that's what makes me angry. But look where the Lord Jesus Christ says to us in Matthew chapter 9, sorry, before I get there, this article that I was telling you about that I read, that this, this discussion with this crowd, and I don't even know how to label, they were just part of the pride movement. I'm not sure where they fall into that alphabet of letters, but they fall into that pride movement. And they said this, the essence of the gospel is to love your neighbor. And so we ought to just love everybody. Jesus loved everybody. Jesus would love these people. Absolutely he would. But that's just taking a soundbite out of the Gospels, isn't it? It's just taking a snapshot of a, a massive involvement that we have of the Scriptures. And so notice the word essence. When I thought about that, I said, what is the essence of the Gospel? The word essence means two different things. It means that which brings to life, or the soul. So think about that. God breathed into man and he became a living soul. In other words, the breath of God is the essence of life. And so if you were to say the love of God is the essence of the gospel, I might even agree with you in that sense. Everything we know about the gospel in Jesus Christ is because God so loved the world. That is the essence, isn't it? In that sense. But the word essence, and I believe this is the way they are using it, can also mean the core doctrine, the core belief system. I do not believe that the love of God is the core doctrine because I believe there are so many that are parallel to it. To say it is a core doctrine, I would agree with you, but not the core doctrine. I believe a core doctrine in the Bible can be the love of Christ, the love of God, but it also could be that man is lost in his sin and that because God loved the world that he sent his only begotten son and Jesus Christ paid the price for our sins when he shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. In other words, the gospel is not a snapshot, it is not a one-liner that we can pull out of scripture and say this is the essence of the gospel. No, the gospel is, is God's desire to redeem mankind ever since man fell. He said there would be a seed of a woman that would bruise the serpent's head. And he prophesied of a savior. All the feasts of the Old Testament pointed to a perfect sacrifice 
that would one day come. We must believe the gospel to be saved. In Jude, the Bible says in verse 15, to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against thee. In other words, there's judgment coming and Jude prophesied of it. And he said over and over again that word ungodly, their ungodly deeds and their ungodly minds and their ungodly speech and their ungodly hearts and their ungodly sinners. But here's the good news in Romans 5 verse 6. For when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for them too. Matthew chapter 9, we read of the Lord Jesus Christ coming into the city. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Heavenly Father, help us today. The worship has been so stirring, it has helped my heart be prepared to open the word of God, and I thank you for that today. But Lord, we need the Holy Spirit of God to teach us and help us. And Lord, again, I plead with you that I would not preach from anger, but a righteous indignation. But Lord, may that... Righteous indignation never disguise the hope and the help of the gospel. The Bible says if the gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. So may we never be guilty of being so harsh and hateful that we forget to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ and salvation that can be found through Calvary. Oh God, help us to have that balance, that right balance that we find in Scripture. So speak to our hearts now. I need your help. Fill me, I pray. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, I jotted some things down this morning and typed them up quickly when I came to church. And so I don't know how long I'll keep you, but I want you to notice, first of all, just two words, crushing compassion. Crushing compassion. You say, why is this compassion crushing? And and I don't like to attribute this word to Jesus, but I think I can. I believe Jesus was overwhelmed. I don't mean the God part of Jesus. I mean the human part of Jesus. The Bible says he came into these villages and these cities, and the Bible says he began to cast out demons, and he began to heal divers diseases. And the Bible says, and, and as he looked up in, in verse 36, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. I can picture the Lord Jesus Christ as he's going village to village and city to city and preaching in the synagogues and telling them about the way and how they can know God through Jesus Christ the Messiah and he's drawing people to himself and he's healing the sick and he's helping the lepers and he's unstopping the ears and he's loosing the tongues of those that could not speak and on and on we see as he's casting out demons and for a moment he takes his eyes off those before him and he sees the crowd begin to gather. Bible says multitudes 
begin to come. I believe there was a catch in his throat and a tear in his eye. As the Bible says, he said to his disciples, I am moved with compassion. It's almost overwhelming to think of all these people lost in need of a savior. I don't mean to say this morning that he was overwhelmed at the task before him for as God, he could heal each one with just a snap of the finger or just the spoken word. He didn't have to minister individually. He could have healed the whole crowd at once if he chose to. He could have cast out every demon on the face of the earth with, but just by saying, be gone. He had that kind of power. But God in the flesh looked upon the multitudes and he was crushed with compassion. He said, does Jesus get overwhelmed? I remember him praying in the garden, sweating great drops of blood. As he agonized over the cross of Calvary, that he would soon take upon himself for your sins and mine. I don't believe it was the pain or the anguish that would cause him to sweat those drops of blood. It was the idea of taking upon himself the sins of the world. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He says, I am in agony and great anguish. And we see a glimpse into his humanity here again when he says, I have compassion on them. You know, I was thinking about this idea, and I want to illustrate first, and then I'll give you the point. How many of you have ever heard of an athlete by the name of Bo Jackson? Got to be about my age, I guess. I just, I just, matter of fact, it was funny, I, I looked him up to, to get some of my facts straight as I was thinking about this, and he just turned 60 yesterday, and so it happened to be his birthday, and so you have to be about my age to remember who he is. He was a star athlete at Auburn University, broke all their records as a running back, but here's the interesting thing. When he became a professional athlete, he became a Major League Baseball athlete. They said that he only had 3% body fat. I must have 4% because I got more than he does. (laughs) He was an incredible specimen. If he struck out on a pitch that he thought he should have hit, he could snap the bat with his hands. He was so strong. He'd just snap it. And everybody go, ooh, don't mess with that guy. You say, what did he do in his spare time? He played professional football for the Oakland Raiders. The guy could hit home runs, he could field his position in baseball, and then he was one of the greatest running backs over a four-year period. He broke all kinds of records. He only played four years because of a hip injury. An incredible, incredible athlete. Let me ask you something. If I'm talking about his physical well-being, how many of you have compassion on him? We're not feeling sorry for him, are we? And this guy is, I mean, the closest thing we know to Superman. This is the man of steel. This was a a specimen. And so we don't don't have compassion. If somebody were to say, well, who do you feel sorry for physically? We look at the sick or the lame. And and we we don't have compassion on a Bo Jackson. What about Albert Einstein? Do you know they say when Albert Einstein was nine years old, he would sit in the classroom. And he'd gaze out the window, nine years old. 
And he had thoughts like this. If I leave my seat right now and I fly to the moon and back at the speed of light, I'll get back in time to see myself leave. That's how quick. Nine years old, he's thinking of stuff like that. How many of you have compassion on his mental acuity? We don't, we don't feel sorry for a guy like that when it comes to smarts, do we? We, we, we look at these, these examples among us and we say, well, it's hard to have compassion on Bo Jackson and his health and it's hard to have compassion on Albert Einstein and his intelligence. How, how many of you heard of a fellow by the name of Elon Musk? Now, every day he changes, but for most days, he's the richest man in the world. He literally owns rocket ships. I mean, the guy's got so much money. How many of you have compassion on his financial condition? I feel sorry for that fella. He's, he's really hurting. No, we don't, we don't have compassion. Here, here's what the interesting thing is about compassion. Compassion is always directed at a need. Think about that. When the Lord Jesus Christ saw the multitudes, he says, I have compassion. He's saying they're needy. There's a need there. I want to caution you as born-again believers in Christ. We see the need and we sometimes get angry. I get it. I do too. I said when they attack our children, I, I get angry. I get upset about it. And there's no doubt a time that we absolutely, as citizens of Canada, must stand and say, that is not going in our schools. That is not going to be indoctrinating our children. We will not have it. We're going to take a stand for right. But as children of God, when we see the need, are we moved to compassion? There's a need. And we must show the very compassion of Christ. I want to give you another alliterated phrase, if I could. I want you to see, secondly, not, not only crushing compassion that Christ had, but I want you to see cultural chaos. Cultural chaos. Look at the next verse, verse 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Look at this, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. I honestly do not know if the Lord meant it this way. I believe that he was looking at the crowd in front of him and he was having compassion on them and he stated three things about them. But I think it's easy to see that any culture, this is what's going on. Notice those three things with me. First, first of all, they were without power. They fainted. The, faint, the word fainted there in the Greek means to be without strength. I'm so thankful as a child of God, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And so when I think about a multitude that is without power, that they are fainting under the, the culture of this world, I have to think that they are ones that do not know Christ. This multitude was on their way to Jesus and for some of them they would return to their homes having met the Savior and putting their faith and trust in him. But as they were coming that way, they were, they were fainting, they were without strength. And when I think of strength in the Bible, I think of a spiritual strength that comes from the Holy Ghost of God. They were without power. Friends, the only hope that this world has today is Jesus Christ. 
Let's make no bones about it. To say that God is love and he loves everybody is to stop short with the gospel. We must continue on to say, yes, but God loves you so much that he died for your sin. Oh, don't talk about my sin. It is not sin what we are doing. Oh, my friends, read Romans chapter 1. Read Leviticus. Over and over, even the Lord Jesus Christ referred to the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. It is sin. And they are without power. They are lost. But we see, secondly, they are without purpose. The Bible says they are scattered abroad. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ gives us purpose in life? You were created in the very image of God to bring him glory all the days of your life. The moment you met the Lord Jesus Christ, he predestinated you to be conformed to the image of his son. He loves you so much that the Bible says, but as many as received him, them gave you power to become the sons of God. Not only did he make you a son, he wants you to be just like his son, Jesus. What a wonderful journey he set us on. That is your purpose in life. There's a lost and dying world today that are attacking the image of God. And they have no purpose. Lost in their sins, bound for a Christless eternity. Here's another sad thing we read about them in this cultural chaos. They're without power, they're without purpose, they're without protection. They are scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. A shepherd protects from danger. A shepherd protects from danger. I mean, you remember David and killing the lion and the bear. That was his job. See, was he afraid? Probably, but it doesn't matter. That's your job. Many soldiers have gone to war, and were they scared? They'd probably be foolish not to be. But it was their job, and so they did it. Courage is not the absence of fear. It's manning up in the face of fear. And so David the shepherd would protect the flock, and as sheep having no shepherd meant that Lord Jesus Christ said, they are not of my fold, and they are not under my protection. They are lost. But let me say this, let me remind you, those are the ones Christ had compassion on. The lost, the hurting, the sick, the diseased, and might I even say, the demon-possessed. There's no doubt in my mind what we see in our society today in this whole thing called Pride Month is demonic in nature. Listen, don't, don't think for a moment because I'm preaching on compassion, we're soft on sin around here. We're not. But I want you to know if we're going to preach on sin, there's a remedy for it. The blood of Jesus Christ which cleanseth us from all unrighteousness. You can be washed in his blood today. They're without power, they're without purpose, they're without protection. A shepherd protects from danger, but a shepherd also provides direction. They're scattered abroad. Doesn't it feel like today that this world is just running somewhere to find something to satisfy their fleshly desires? They say that the suicide rate of that crowd is nine times higher than the general population. And they say it's because they're persecuted. Friends, they're marching in the streets half naked, they're not persecuted. 
As far as human rights go, they got just as many rights as everybody else. They're not persecuted. They're sad. They're in despair. They're without Christ. And eventually it comes to a head. And many more than the normal population take their own lives. They're without the protection of Christ. I'm so glad that when my heart is burdened, I can sing my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross. I can sing, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. I have that constant source of joy because he will never leave me nor forsake me. There's a lost and dying world without a shepherd. Scattered abroad. They say, oh, God loves us too. And he does. So let me ask you this question. Why are they seeking so hard to make gods of their own? Why are they attacking the image of God? Why are they saying anything goes and it's such a ringing reminder of every man did that which was right in his own eyes? And said, God is okay with it. No, read the book of Jude again. Read 1 Peter. Read Revelation. There's a God in heaven who will not stand for it forever. By the way, the fact that they're turned over to a reprobate mind, you say judgment is coming. No, friends, that is the judgment of God. God has turned them over. And you see it all through our society, God judging sin. How low can they go? We don't know. But hopefully when they hit rock bottom, they'll find a Savior who loves them. They'll repent of their sin in trust in Jesus Christ. So let me give you another thing. We've talked this morning about crushing compassion in a cultural chaos. Here's the third thing I see in verse 37 and 38, Christianity's call. What did Jesus do? Verse 17 or 37, he says, Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Here's Christianity's call. Number one, we must recognize the harvest. We must recognize the harvest. Unfortunately, I think a lot of times, and I, I fall into this rut too, the harvest, a lot of times for us, is the ones that come visit our church. They come for a special night. They'll come on a Sunday morning because somebody invited them. We say, wow, look at this. There's the harvest. Who was Jesus talking about when he was talking about the harvest? The multitudes that did not have a shepherd. The ones that were demon-possessed and diseased and outcasts of society. The ones that nobody wanted to talk to. We're really good at preaching, come unto me, but what about go ye into all the world and preach the gospel? 
where our hearts, when we see somebody like that, does it break our heart? I saw something the other day that it bothered me immensely. There was a naval, I believe it was the Naval Academy in the United States of America, and President Biden was speaking to the crowd, and he tripped. Did you see that? He was stepping away from the podium, and he tripped over a piece of carpet, or he must have had a a microphone line or something, and he tripped and he fell. Hey, by the way, I don't care if you're 80. I, I can trip and fall. And I mean, it was fodder over Twitter, everybody was laughing at him. This is this this you know old man has fallen, and what 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 kind of president do we have? I mean, it was born again Christians, pastors that I follow, over and over again, mocking and mocking and mocking and mocking. That broke my heart. The first Sunday that we had to go to a live stream service only. I was walking up on the platform, and I just, it was December, it wasn't the first time, but one of the lockdowns, the first Sunday after that lockdown, it was December, and I just got my first set of bifocals. How many of you know that takes a little adjusting? And I didn't realize that, I used to just drop my eyes down. Well, you can't, you got to move your whole head now. I didn't know that. And I was coming up those stairs and I caught my toe because I just lowered my eyes and the magnification went like this. And I caught my toe and I took out that flag. You can come look at that wall. There's marks all over it. I ripped out that flag. My feet were in the air. And I said, praise the Lord, we have nobody at church today. (laughs) It was the first time I was ever thankful that nobody showed up. Calvin Baker sat right there on the front row with his arm up in the pew and he just looked at me. He didn't help or anything. Messed up the knee of my pants, and I had to preach. I stayed behind the pulpit best I could because I had a hole in my knee. I, I mean, or a burn mark, I guess. It wasn't really a hole burn mark on my knee. Anybody can fall down. But to make fun of somebody like that. And it was actually Gerald Wolf from Greater Vision that came on and said, Hey, fellas, this is not funny, nor is it respectful. He is our commander-in-chief. It's okay to disagree with somebody, but not be hateful to them. I got thinking about that in the light of all this nonsense that's going on in our world. And so often my reaction is just, I'm so sick of this. I am sick of the agenda. I'm sick of the politics. But we may never be hateful to the people who desperately need Jesus. Is our response one of hate or compassion? It's not easy, is it? It's not easy. We need to recognize the harvest. That is the harvest. That is the harvest. Most Sunday mornings, I'll get up early, and I put on a choir on YouTube, First Baptist Church of Dallas, and I just enjoy listening to the choir. They have 490 songs, and it just plays and plays and plays, and I, I read my Bible, and I study, and I pray, and I'll let it play, and I just enjoy it. And there's a couple people in that choir that make my day. There's one young lady that's covered in tattoos all up and down her arms, but those same arms are raised in praise. Tears coming down her face. Another gentleman, just the same, just body worn from sin, you can tell. And he sings and he moves and he praises and he... I mean, 
Everybody around him's got to make way because he's just gonna, he's not, he can't be still while he sings. He's just, he's Larry Wilson up there in that choir, just enjoying it. Amen. He's Jim Wood in the ensemble. I love watching those men sing. And I thought, what if I'd met them on the street? Would they be the harvest? Would they be the ones that I'd be saying, I'm going to reach this one. I'm going to give them a God. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Or what I'd say, oh, what a mess. Look at the sin that they're in. Look at the life that they live. We have to recognize that is the harvest. That is the harvest. We also have to realize the help that is needed. Jesus said the laborers are few. Would you pray? We see the need for laborers and we see the prayer for laborers. Would you pray that the Lord of the harvest would send forth laborers into the harvest? Isn't it interesting that he said this is the harvest? The harvest truly is plenteous. He's not looking at that crowd and saying, hey, in three or four months that that harvest will be ripe. He's saying, no, 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 this is the harvest. And it's plenteous. There's no excuse for not finding somebody to tell about Jesus because they're all around us. Let me ask you, do you ever go somewhere and you see people and you say, I wonder if they know the Lord or if they don't. I wonder if they have Christ in their heart. Let me say this, the divide is becoming so great it's so much easier to see it now. The marks of sin upon society are so great, we should have no problem finding somebody to tell about Jesus. Should be no problem. Those are just some thoughts from my devotion this morning that stirred my heart. I pray it stirs yours. You say, are you fed up, Pastor? I'm fed up. I think this year more than ever, I'm tired of hearing about it all. May the Lord remind us that is the harvest and those are people that need Christ and they have eternal souls destined for somewhere. Without Jesus, they'll be forever lost. Can we save some with fear? Pulling them out of the fire? Is there one we can reach? And so, those folks can't be saved. I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you, I know of some that are. God miraculously changed their lives. It can happen. But we need the very power of God upon us. Father, we love you. Lord, you spoke to my heart. Pray that you speak to others. Help us, Lord, we pray. Lord, we must have the right position. There's no doubt about it. We must preach against sin. We must live a life that is holy and separated unto God but we must also have the right disposition. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, so they must hear about him. What a difficult balance some days, I'll admit it. Those periodicals that come across my desk and the things I see in our society, they, they cause my temper to get flaring. But may we always be reminded those are souls for whom Christ died. Lord, speak to us, we pray. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand this morning? Your heads bowed. Would you pray?
I'm going to challenge every one of you to pray. Whether you come to this altar or not, would you pray this morning? God would give us the right balance, the right disposition. Oh, don't think for a moment that we are accepting of sin. We are not to be woke Christians, as I said a couple weeks ago. But would to God that we'd have a heart for the lost. Here's the struggle, friends. We, we can look down and we can condemn. But Paul said, but we're such some of you.